invite you to turn to the book of James. James chapter 1, it's towards the end of your Bible. I don't know if you guys uh, remember when uh, Regis Philbin and uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came on the scene a number of years ago. Um, it, when it hooked, when it hit us, it was just like this rage. It'd been over in Europe or over in England, rather, and it hit us. And I remember when it first came out, I was watching it all the time. Couldn't get enough of it. And it was on one night, and it was on two nights, and then I think it was on every night of the week. And it got old pretty quick, but... In the beginning, it was good. And the premise of the show is if you can answer 14 questions correctly, you win a million dollars. And if you get stuck, you have a lifeline. There are three lifelines. Anybody know trivia right here? What's your lifelines? Phone a friend. Ask the audience. 50-50. All right, we got some fans. So those are the original lifelines. They since altered it and added some, took some off apparently, but those are the original ones. And of course, the whole drama is to see whether the lifelines would help this person get through who was stuck and at a loss for what the right answer was. And uh, of course, it was awful when the phone a friend friend let them down and gave them the wrong answer and they went with it. And you're like, what kind of friend is that? Which is... I would never allow somebody, not that they would anybody to ask me, but I would never be allowed to be put down as a friend, and I would hang up before they could answer the question because I, I wouldn't want to be the one having that kind of pressure that causes my friend, who would then no longer be my friend, uh, to lose a million dollars. This past week, we started James, and it's written to young Christians trying to understand how to live out the Christian life. And the book of James is how does our faith work out? The first thing that's on God's heart as he's inspiring James, carrying James along to write this book is a message about trials and, and not just any kind of message, but he's seeing these young Christians out there and he knows what they're going through. And he says this, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your face, faith <laughs> produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Talked a little bit about this last week. What are the trials? Trials can be all kinds of things. It's, it's a wide net. He says trials, trials of suffering and sickness and conflict, broken relationships and families and marriages and Sons and daughters with their parents, school, failure, deaths, and all the repercussions. Any kind of trial that's out there can fit in this. And he says, consider it joy because what it's doing is perfecting us and it's completing us. It's making us more like Christ. So keep persevering through it. Keep pushing through it. He goes on to write in the second, and uh, verse 5, and he writes this, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And there's some debate as to whether this goes with the 
previous verses or he's introducing another theme because wisdom is a theme that he comes back to again. Trials is a theme that he comes back to again in James. I think it works. There's a lot of people that thinks it works. There's a lot of people that think it doesn't. I, I think it works. It can work both ways. Why not? So we're going to say it works. Um, and what he says here is, look, when, when you get into trials, trials have this effect of stripping us of answers, stripping us of control. And depending on the severity of the trial and suddenness, we'll, we'll look at someone who has just heard something or gone through something traumatic, and, and they're in shock. And you literally have to lead them along because they can't even function. They can't even think. They're at a loss for how to even live life. Now, shock is obviously a severe response or reaction when you're in a trial. It's very rare but even the average trial often leads us, leaves us at a loss for answers. And we're grasping for the lifelines, right? Trying to hold on to something, trying to find meaning in the middle of what seems to be like senseless suffering and senseless trials. And I have a friend who's been looking for a job for, I think, now two years. He's got his bachelor's. He's got his master's. It's a sharp guy. And, and he's also not just lazy. This guy's out there trying to find jobs. He's applying all the time. He's interviewing, I don't know how many interviews he's been in. He's gotten to the second and third, uh, you know, rounds. And he never gets the job. And he, he I mean, you look at him, and I, I mean, this guy should get hired, and, and I don't understand it. And it's you know, after the first year, you kind of run out of things to say. And you stop talking about it. You just start avoiding it because you know it's hard to explain. A vice at that point seems trite. And he's at a loss. It's like, I, I don't know what to do. I have someone who's just sharing me a story of a recent experience of just a traumatic loss happening in their family and one of the family members or relationships to this person just started lashing out in anger. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know how to handle it. At a loss for how to go forward. Trials push us to our limits and, and when we get pushed to our limits, by definition, it means we've run out of understanding, of explanation, of paths forward and paths out, and all, all the answers that you have and that we can have. How, how do you explain to someone and, and to someone who's broken, who has a broken heart, or how do, you, how do you help someone take away the pain of their childhood or put back a family or put back friendships or marriage? How, you know, how does a counselor possibly heal a wound that is far beyond their, their counsel? I know why James wrote this verse. is because the most common human experience in trials is that we, we don't have the answer. We don't know why. And, and James comes along and he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. 
Wisdom in the Bible is a, a pretty big deal. It, it happens a lot. It, there's actually several books called the wisdom literature. Wisdom is all over the Bible. And, and before we talk about what wisdom is, let's talk about what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not knowledge. If wisdom was knowledge, we would all be wise because we have more knowledge available to us right now as we live than we ever have had in the history of the world. I don't know if you guys ever, some of you who are younger never had these things. You guys remember having the old encyclopedias? Like you were like some kind of family if you had the whole collection, right? I remember as a kid, we had like the color kids version of that and I would just read those things hours after hours loved opening them up and looking at them and now they're just what paperweights they're in the trash you look at them and go oh this is so cute because right you, you can get online right now and, and you could look all that stuff up and more just type in a few words and get on the web for instance, knowledge is not wisdom. Uh, a few weeks ago, my TV all of a sudden stopped working, just no screen. And so I called up the TV place and said, hey, my TV doesn't work. What do you do? And they said, throw it away. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know how much money I paid for this thing? He's like, throw it away. That's what people do. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And he says, I know, but... By the time you take this in and pay somebody to fix it and pay for the part, you've almost brought a brand new TV, so just throw it away. I'm like, I'm not throwing it away. So I got on YouTube, the fountain of all knowledge, <laughs> and typed in TV repair. And, and what inspired me to do this was actually a friend of mine whose uh, car wasn't working, so he got on YouTube and watched a video on how to refix his car, took this whole thing apart, put it back together, and it worked. And so I thought, well, I'll try it. I don't know if it's wise, but I'll try it. And so uh, I got on YouTube, watched, I just typed in this thing, and it showed me, hey, this is what's wrong with your TV. And there's people out there that just show you all the steps of how this is how you fix it. And, and it got really deep into the weeds of all this electronics and ohms and watts and things that I should not know and don't want to know. But I, I figured out I could do this, so I went in there, I fixed it. It actually worked. I know. How about it? I got, a, I got an upgrade on my man card that day. Felt really good, really good about it. But knowledge isn't wisdom. Listen to this. If knowledge is, is wisdom, we got a problem. Albert Einstein, probably one of the brightest minds to ever live, right? I mean, he, this guy almost developed this whole theory of atomic energy on his own. Like, he's the one that started writing books about atomic energy. But he says this, in their struggle for the ethical good, teachers of religion must have the stature to give up the doctrine of a personal God. Knowledge is not wisdom. God's word says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Albert Einstein, famous for his knowledge, made one of the most famously foolish statements of his life. 
Wisdom is not knowledge. Being smart, smart is not knowledge, or not wisdom, rather. Not only that, it's important to understand what wisdom is not. And, and there's a category of wisdom out there. The Bible talks about it. It says human wisdom and, or worldly wisdom. This isn't the wisdom that James is talking about. The, the wisdom of this world is false. There's a false wisdom. It all falls in this category. And, and what happens is when we're in trials, when we're vulnerable, when we're desperate, if we're not aware that there's a false wisdom and a human wisdom or a worldly wisdom, we'll get drawn into it. We'll naturally gravitate towards that. The worldly wisdom of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it calls us in the middle of trials to give in to desires. We deserve it. Look what we're going through. Pride of life. It says, you don't deserve this. Do you know who you are? What are you thinking? Get rid of God. Walk away from God. Do what you want to do. Why would you stay with God in the middle of this trial? You deserve more, right? He's not staying with us. Just look at the trials. That, that's the, the wisdom of this world. And, and the wise choice is to get angry at God and reject him. The so wisdom that James is talking about is not knowledge and is not the wisdom of this world or humanity. Wisdom is this. It is knowing the right way to live and how to use the knowledge that we have. Wisdom is really God's understanding of how to live. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live according to God, wrote this in Proverbs 9.10. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalms 110 says the same thing. Wisdom starts with God. And, and the implications are dramatic because any wisdom out there that does not start with God is by definition foolish. It has to start with God. And, and not this, when he talks about fear, not this freak out fear like, ah, but it, it's a fear that is born out of reverence, a fear born out of love. And it's that fear that leads us to live the way that God would have us live. That's wisdom. And why is the fear of the Lord beginning of the wisdom? Because God is wisdom. It's who he is. And if we reject him, how in the world do you ever get to know true wisdom? In Ephesians, Paul says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. Spirit is wisdom. Wisdom is the spirit. It is synonymous. And we see in scripture that the presence of the Holy Spirit then and the wisdom are, are synonymous. And the implication then is when you see the wisdom of God, you are seeing the spirit of God. And when you see the spirit of God, the flow of wisdom will come. Guess who gives the spiritual gift of wisdom? The spirit of wisdom. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Now we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. If we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. So 
The Spirit is teaching us this and helping us to interpret spiritual truths, and we're teaching that to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, foolish to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's the Spirit of, the, of God who comes and teaches us the wisdom, His wisdom, imparts it to us, helps us understand it. If you don't have the Spirit of wisdom, you won't know the wisdom of God. But if you have the Spirit, you have His wisdom in you, teaching you, teaching me, leading us, helping us to interpret life and, and what we understand and know. James goes on, he says, look, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Who gives generously. Ask God for wisdom because he's a generous God. If you're at a loss right now in a trial, you're confused, you're overwhelmed, you need a lifeline, ask God, because he's a generous God. His, his nature is generous. As we just sang these songs, uh, how generous is God? That's how generous God is. He gave his life for us. The Father gave the Son. The Son gave himself willingly, dies for us. He gives his life for us. And so, James builds on this idea and says, hey, look, our God is a generous God, and and he loves to give wisdom. And if you feel like you've asked too many times for it, like you've run out of chances or or lifelines, like who wants to be a millionaire? You only get three, and you only get to use one once. you You don't get to use it again and again. You only get one shot at this. And human wisdom would say, you're out of chances. You have no more lifelines. Human wisdom, we see limits. We run out of things, right? We run out of gas. We run out of milk. We run out of time. We run out of money. Well, of course then, God runs out of generosity and wisdom, right? I mean, that's what human wisdom would say. You've reached your limit. Going to have to shut it down. God's a bit low on wisdom for the month. No, James says he's unlimited in his generosity. Ask him. Kent Hughes, a pastor, writes that God has like this pitcher of water and he's just ready to pour it out. Just, just ask and he'll pour it out. There's a famous story in the Bible. King Solomon has just taken over the throne of Israel. His father David has died. And God appears to Solomon in a dream, and he says, Solomon, hey, ask whatever you wish. I'll give it to you. And Solomon famously says, hey, I'm about ready to leave this nation, and I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? I need discernment. I need to figure out how to lead well. And God was so happy with that answer, right? He says, I am going to make you the wisest man that has ever lived. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
And then he says, not only am I going to make you, make you wise, I'm going to make you the wisest man that's ever lived. Not only that, I'm going to make you the wealthiest and the most powerful. I'm going to give you influence and all this stuff because of his request for wisdom. Solomon just wanted some wisdom to lead the nation. And God comes along and says, I'll make you the most famously wise man ever who has lived or will ever live. Solomon goes on to write a large portion of Proverbs, part of the wisdom literature. He writes Ecclesiastes, a whole reflection on what is folly, what is meaningless, and what has meaning. He wrote Song of Solomon, too. You look at those things, and you see a God who loves to give generously. And he says, come to me if you lack wisdom, if you are all out of options, if you've hit the end. Ask. And he says one other thing. He says, not only does God give wisdom, but he gives wisdom without reproach. It literally says, without insulting. Yeah, he would come to God and he'd just go, man, you, you're so dumb. Or, man, we're back here again. God says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. He doesn't insult us. He doesn't look at the list and go, eh, yeah, can't do that. Sorry. Look what you've done. This is your mess, your fault. I'm not helping you out. Get yourself out of it. You know, one of the most baffling passages to me is that 1 Kings chapter 3 passage about Solomon. Because it says this. I'll just read it to you. It is, it is this verse, I, I would say, incarnate, lived out, illustrated. Solomon just becomes king. The very first thing he does is he made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her to his city, and she became his wife. That's Solomon, right? I mean, we just got done with Joshua, and God was like, hey, don't intermarry with nations because that marriage will pull you away from me. They, they worship other gods, and you're going to bring that into your family, and you're going to get pulled away. Don't intermarry with pagan nations. Just don't do it. The first thing Solomon does is marry an Egyptian, the ones who had enslaved them for 400 years to ring a bell. You still worship false idols? Not only that, you go on, and it's not only that he does this, but he's, it says here in a couple of verses later that he still worshiped at the high places. The high places were devoted to idolatry. That's, that's where pagan worship, that's where demonic stuff was happening, and Solomon was still worshiping at the high places. 
So you have a guy who's intermarried with, and he's married with formerly the in, or enemy of Israel. I don't know if they're still enemy. He made a treaty, I guess. But he's now got this wife who is going to pull his heart away. And, and now he's still worshiping on high places. And God still comes to him and says, I'll give you anything you want. Fast forward a few chapters, and Solomon's building places of worship for all his wives so they could keep on worshiping their gods. But it says this this is what God said Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. And God appeared to him. See, God loves to give wisdom to any who would ask. And Solomon comes and his request to God is, Lord, I I need to learn how to rule the way you would want me to rule. I need to make the wisest decisions how you would say they should go. And God says, I'll do that. And he doesn't condemn him and say, but you just did this, but you just married her, and you were doing, he just says, I'll give it to you. From a human perspective, it just, from human wisdom, it doesn't make sense. Solomon doesn't deserve it. He's messed up. And the point of the story of Solomon is how much God longs to give out wisdom. No matter the past, no matter the history, you ever afraid to ask God for wisdom because of the mess you know you've created? Like, you deserve it. You deserve to be here. You deserve to stay here. No one can help you. God's not going to help you. See, that's not God's voice. That's the wisdom of this world. That's Satan. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. Let me ask you something. Are are you asking God for wisdom? Are you at the end of your rope? Do you have any idea of what you're doing? You can call out to the Spirit and say, I need wisdom. In fact, you can actually say, you promised me. You promised me you'd give me wisdom, and I'm going to hold you to that promise. Give me wisdom. You know, one of the things that's kind of changed in my times where I do counseling or just whatever you call that, um, meet with people and pray with people, um, I'm finding myself, I, I, I used to talk a whole lot when I first started out. I think the longer I get, the older I get, <laughs> the longer I get, the, the older I get. And I think you would agree, the older we get, 
the less answers it seems like we have. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is my times have become more, let's just ask God. And I have seen God come, and it's so cool, every time. Lord, what is going on here? Would you show them? And God answers. God answers. And it's so good because it's, it's just not me. It's not about a person. And, and they hear from God, and, and it's interesting as they say, well, this is what I'm sensing, and we kind of process it. It's so much better because then I'm not really the, the bad guy, <laughs> and I'm not really the hero. I mean, they walk out going, well, all he did was pray. And we just talked to God, and God talked. I mean, it's so much more about God and how he gives wisdom. I remember as a kid praying, God, would you give me wisdom? I read Solomon, and I was like, I'd like that. Let's pray. Spirit of wisdom, would you come right now? And would you minister to each person here? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you silence all the other voices? Voices that would just say this is uh, not going to work or the voices that say uh, don't deserve it, whatever. You, you know the voices right now. Holy Spirit, would your voice be the only one we hear for each person in this room? If you're stuck, if you're at your wits in, you don't know what to do, you're in trials, you're facing trials, you're in situations you have no answers and direction. Just ask him for wisdom right now. Holy Spirit, would you use your word? Would you use a verse? Would you use a song, picture, vision? Lord, would our lives as we go forward be grounded on your wisdom? Would you fill us, Spirit? Lead us, Spirit, with wisdom.
give us understanding of your wisdom. Wisdom of Christ and the cross. Amen.